welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rage. That's what you get for not obeying your counselor. And here's what you get for telling evil stories and having such a filthy mouth. It is not the appearance of life, it is life. This is not magic. As you say, I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood as we continue our month-long stays at different summer camps. Up next, we got Camp Blackfoot that turned into Camp Stonewater. If you like um, canoeing, if you like uh, everybody in the cast saying jokes about every little thing, uh, if you like our boy Glazer trying to get some and failing, if you like a burnt victim who wears a hood and has garden uh, shears killing everybody this is the summer camp for you what's up everybody this is james klein jay allison on here how's it going allison how you feeling about our stay at this uh this particular summer camp how you feeling wow man how you doing um summer camp still going pretty good i mean our first three movies are really good and uh this movie's also good so uh, i think we've had a successful summer camp stay so far now, how um, good is this can... movie to you? Is it our boy uh, Woodstock feeling good, or is it our boy Glacier feeling good? Oh, I have a different feeling about Glacier than you do, but um, I'm going to guess that it's a it's a Glacier feeling good. Yeah, Betty. That's what you mean. He's feeling all good during this movie. But uh, <clears throat> it's very interesting with this uh, particular style of movie. You know, it's, it's always fun to jump back, you know, from different 80s uh, years. You know, because the last movie we did was like around like 1989, you know what I mean? Towards like the later half of the 80s. And this one's like brand spank, you know, in 1981. So it's very different to see like the filming style, the acting style, and just like the differences in like how the movies would uh, 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 kind of like progress over time. Because, you know, when we were doing last week, when we did Teenage Wasteland, Sleepaway Camp, I mean, that movie was all about fucking tits. Um, uh, fucking, you know, uh, everybody had to die in almost every scene and stuff like that. You know, this movie was more like, okay, we got a little bit more nice kids. You know what I mean? Like they're not as like rebellious. Mm. They're kind of like these nice kids. They're just making jokes the whole time. You know what I mean? Hanging out for a nice little summer camp. You know, the, the girls, I, everybody kind of looked their age in this movie too. Mm. Um, well, kind of. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> a I mean, little uh, more than, more than teenage wasteland. Yes. Yes. You know, and then we you know we had more like realistic uh, things happening in this film. I thought so. It's very just it's very interesting to see the uh, beginning '80s filming style compared to like the later '80s filming style. Yeah, yeah, because that was definitely a thing. Like, and and that's like a thing that I mean, I think it's one of the reasons I prefer the early '80s movies, and you kind of prefer the later '80s movies just because of our tastes are different, but. You know, by in 
in the early eighties, these, these kind of tropes, they, the, there were no really, there were no horror movie tropes yet. There were no slasher movie tropes yet. That was all new. So they were kind of, um, I don't know. I don't want to use the word artistic because it sounds pretentious and it sounds full of shit, but it's like a lot of the people that were going, trying to make these movies, like trying to make Friday the 13th and Halloween and the burning and movies like that were trying to make movies. They were trying to make good movies, the best that they could with the money that they had um, and do something new that they could afford to do. But by the end of the eighties, it had become these kind of movies had become so popular that they, whoever made them just said, okay, we'll, we'll punch in this little trope here and this trope here. And then everybody knows this is corny bullshit. So we're just going to make it as corny a bullshit as we can make it. Um, it kind of had a parallel in wrestling too, because wrestling got that way. Yeah. Like it started off like, you know, in early eighties where in the, to the mid eighties where it was pretty believable in a lot of ways to where it got toward the end of the eighties into the early nineties, where it was like, nobody believes this bullshit anymore anyway. So let's just make everybody a superhero kind well, of thing. And also too, like everything towards like the later half of the eighties, a lot more colorful, you know, it's not like, it's a lot more yeah, like, glam it's like more glam too it's like more a lot more pizzazz and you can see that when we watch like different movies and when you're watching wrestling at the same time because you know during this particular area like you know the camera work and everything it's just a little bit more dark and gritty you know what i mean it's like the old timers going there smoking their cigarettes watching the wrestling <laughs> matches and shit you know same thing right. to like probably people watching these horror movies and stuff like you know i was like oh yeah you know you know just like just the 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 grittiness of like the yeah. early the early eighties films are are definitely some. It just kind it's, it, it just it's just crazy to see like the the switch like happen all in the same decade of it going well, from like very gritty to be very like more like like glam sized in a way. Yeah, that's true. But I think that has more to do has as much to do with like how much money they were putting into movies. I mean, yeah, they never put in a lot of money in horror movies, and that's the whole thing about horror movies, right? Is everybody says no horror movies ever lost money because they cost so little to make that enough people will go see them that they'll make their money back. But, you know, like a movie, like, I mean, comparing Friday the 13th part one and two to Friday the 13th part nine, you know, when you go from having like, well, we're trying to get our friends to invest in a movie to Paramount's giving me as much money as I need to make this movie, then it, your movie's just going to look different. And, you know, and like yeah. how gritty it looks, I think just goes down to, you know, they only had a limited amount of lighting, and a lot of it was done with like whatever available lighting there was. Well, this movie so would have no lighting. Gritty. This movie has no lighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. literally shot in the dark. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> well, with a well, flashlight, maybe. Yeah, we'll get on the, the the history of this movie is very fascinating. We'll go over that here pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, but before we do that, let's get some of the history out of the way. You know, every every episode we do on here on the Retro Blow, we always do the history of what was going on in metal and pro wrestling around the release date of this particular movie. And this release date was May eighth, nineteen eighty one. We are we are one year in the eighties, happening over here. And um, how about we do? I we don't have too much on the wrestling side um, for for this month. But why, why don't you tell us what we would be doing a little bit around uh, May eighth, nineteen eighty one, in the pro wrestling side there, Allison. Yeah, like it's weird because like um the May this May of 1981 was like an off month for everybody. Like there wasn't shit going on hardly. However, there was one kind of interesting thing and um the WWF 
running their Madison Square Garden shows. I mean, that's that was especially around this time was like a a uh, an event. So you know, you didn't have a pay per view every month, but you know, the Madison Square Garden show has always been a big event for WWF, and they're going to have one coming up pretty soon, which they're doing a Raw from, I think. Um, but anyway, on May the fourth, which is like right before this movie came out of 1981. They were in Madison Square Garden again. Um, they sold it out at 24,000 people, um, but they pulled a swerve on everybody. Um, so they had, up, up until the day of the show, they had announced Andre the Giant uh, being on the card. And then the day of the show, it seems like they announced that Andre had a broken ankle. Ah. So no Andre. Um, no Andre. So no Andre. So we did have a few good matches. I mean, we had uh, the Intercontinental Champion Pedro Morales defeated Killer Khan. Killer Khan returns to the uh, Retro Blood. Yes. Um, yeah. The but then we had um, Headlock. The dreaded headlock from Killer Khan. Huh. Um, then we had a um, uh, Peter Maivia who defeated Rick McGraw, who, okay. you know, Peter Maivia, The Rock's grandfather. Um, so they had the match that Andre was supposed to be in anyway. It was going to be a, a six man tag. Um, so they had uh, on the other side of that six man tag was Stan Hansen, Moondog Rex, and Captain Lou Albano. Which, you know, Stan Hansen's great. I don't know much about the Moondogs. I know who they are, but I've never seen them wrestle, I don't think. Hmm. And then, you know, Captain Lou is a famous, uh, famous manager there. Yes. Uh, the other side of that, what the side Andre was supposed to be on was Tony Gria and Rick Martel. And substituting for Andre the Giant was Gorilla Monsoon. Okay. Which, uh, definitely not Andre level, but at this time, uh, Gorilla probably wasn't wrestling anymore. So seeing him wrestle was probably a good throwback for a lot of the fans there. So yeah, they probably enjoyed. That. And like you know, he was always a bigger star wrestler too. True. <clears throat> yeah, so you know, it was always like that big. He, he could fill the role of the the bigger giants in there. Obviously, he wasn't as big as Andre the Giant was, but he was definitely a big, uh, big man, big wrestler during his particular time period. Exactly. And then the main event of that night was actually the pro Re or the wrestling observer newsletters match of the year for 81, which was uh, an alleyway fight between Sergeant Slaughter and Pat Patterson. Um, I can see that. I, yeah. So that's like one of the, like, it's a, it's a super famous fight. Um, they call it an alleyway fight, but it actually took place in the ring. It wasn't in an alley. Um, as far as I can tell, there were just no watch. rules. That's why they called the alleyway. There, there was just basically no rules. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was like one of the biggest. Uh, it was the biggest match of the year, or the best match of the year, according to Wrestling Observer. So Meltzer loved it. Um, but yeah, so that would have been probably the only wrestling show we would have attended that week um, if we took the Trans Am to Madison Square Garden. Yeah, you know, it's not a bad show. You know what I mean? You got that that great main event. You know, with the they were probably like uh, upper to to upper to middle card, Sergeant yeah. Slaughter and, and and Pat Patterson. But you know, the good thing about them is like they they can have a, a nice competitive, hard hitting match. So I could definitely see why that one would be um, the Wrestling Observer's match of the the year, at least for the Fed, oh, yeah. uh, because you know those guys will go out there and just beat each other up. And you know, Pat Patterson was known to be you know like we we talked about him before on the show. Like he was a very good technical style wrestler, but he can also go in there and brawl as well too. Yeah, yeah, the most famous intercontinental champion of all time, right? Yes. Well, he was the first. And so. the first ones as well. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, we had some other good, you know, style matches on here. Um, you know, this particular uh, time of wrestling, it was more about um, 
I don't think this. It was transition. It was kind of like transitioning to like be more of a body style. Yeah. Uh, wrestling, you know, obviously with Hulk Hogan coming in there, you know, Ultimate Warrior and stuff like that. You know, those, we haven't hit the uh, the colorful <laughs> fed yet when it comes to the bodies. But this is this is probably the period of time where you know we still have the. It, it's like the we still have bigger guys. You know, they're all you know still big, but it's it's more about the uh, the storytelling a little bit more in the ring around this particular time yeah yeah it's still you know when hulkamania hadn't hit yet so it wasn't like the biggest thing in the world and you know every nothing everything wasn't like you know bright yellow and red and you know just super bright colors and but yeah it was still about wrestling at this point which uh, which was probably what i would have preferred at, at the time yeah because you got a lot of like good wrestlers um you know we had some good wrestlers coming on later on in the 80s too but this one just has a little bit more like more foundation style wrestlers you know more traditional style wrestlers where it comes to like you know a lot of a lot of chops a lot of headlocks a lot of lighter beating uh the crowd's going pretty crazy so i you know this 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 particular time like i'm like we talked about this before this is not the most well received time <laughs> in wrestling because it's kind of like a weird transition right now. Like, yeah. so we have the, the WWF is about to blow up pretty soon. So it's like that. It's like the calm before the storm. It's like we're still doing 70s wrestling, but it's transitioning a little bit into like this more flashy, cartoonish style wrestling. It's just kind of like, and then right here, when we do from like 1980 to about almost 1984 and 85, it's still like that. It's like this big, like a whole transition period of how wrestling would be perceived from here on out. So it's just a very interesting little time period we have over here. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you're right. It is a strange like little time capsule because it's, you're, it's transitioning from seventies to eighties, which a lot of things were, I mean, music was transitioning from seventies to eighties and you know, it was, it was, it doesn't just change overnight when the, you know, when the decade changes, but, but yeah, you had, um, um, you had you still had that '70s mentality in the '80s, but they were they were about to blow up. You, you knew it's weird to th- it, they're not weird, but it's cool to to think to look back on this now and see how wrestling was about to explode. Yeah. It was about to be the biggest thing on the planet, and you know, and then once that happened, it changed wrestling forever, and it could never go back to the way it was. Exactly, just the way it was all like presented. You know what I mean? You know, we're 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 presenting in basically a ring. You know, just a just a normal style ring, a couple cameras on the ring. The the crowd is all you know. You you can see the crowd a little bit, but there's a little dark around that. Partic- you know, the crowd. You know, you can mm-hmm. see that the areas look a little bit more smoky, yep. in some of the arenas. Um, you know, just the way they they wrestle and, and they they react out the crowds a little different as well too. There's just not a lot of flash to it. So you know, no, I mean, people. Yeah, people had different reasons. They had different kinds of angles then. Like basically, yeah. you just had two guys that wanted to fight. Like I, I don't like you, so we're gonna have a match and we're gonna fight. Now they have like convoluted reasons to have matches, but they, angles back back then were just basically, you know, two guys fighting. Yes. Um, so, so definitely a fun, a uh, fun little period uh, uh, to be in during this time, just to kind of see like how, how like wrestling was like basically was for like, for a very long time. You know, going from like the the you know seventies and stuff, and kind of like transitioning out of the seventies. Uh, during this time but um speaking of transitioning out of the the 70s a little bit let's go into some of the metal that we yeah, got let's see what you got so i actually found something interesting 
And we have talked a little bit about this band before, but I don't think we have given that much love to this band. And I know, I think you have seen them before live. I know I, ha I have seen them before live too. So, on May 8th, 1981, we have the Worldwide uh, Blitz Tour. This was live in Chicago. And we have the one and only Judas Priest playing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, obviously Judas Priest is like one of the biggest metal bands in the world. And, you know, they were, they were going hot over here during the, the 80s period as well, too. You know, we have singer uh, Ron Howard. He was at the helm during this time with his... Uh, did he have the bald head and the, and the mustache during this particular time? Hold on. Let's, uh, let's, let's back up for a minute. What? So Ron Howard is the guy that played Opie in the Andy Griffith show and directs movies now. Rob Halford is the lead singer of Judas Priest. Oh, it's Ron Halford? My bad. It's Rob Halford. Whatever, same thing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, man, I love, I love this. I love it. Sorry. Okay, continue. <clears throat> anyway, uh, what's his name again? Rob? Rob Halford. I thought it was Howard. No. Right, no, Ron Howard is a movie director. Oh, okay. actor. Oh, there you go. Maybe maybe they're the one and the same. Maybe they are, are clones of you. Maybe. Maybe that's maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's their uh their back that's his backstory. Well anyway, the only thing I know about Judas Priest, okay, because I didn't listen mm. to a lot of Judas Priest, but I saw them at the Ozfest that was like Black Sabbath and Judas Priest, and this is when the Halford that's when he returned to Judas Priest during this particular tour. I think it was <clears throat> the 2007 or 2008 um, Ozfest. One of the, one of those two. It might have been even earlier too. I can't remember. It might have been 2004. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was whatever Ozfest that he had a Black Sabbath original and we had the Judas Priest originals on there. And the other thing I knew about yeah. the guy is he had a stash. He had a bald head. He wore like the biker uniform and he would come out driving his motorcycle on stage. Do I get all yep. that right? Um, you did get all that right. Yeah, I do remember. Um, I I saw that tour too. I was thinking it was two thousand four. I think it, it was because I, I remember being young young during that time. So I think it was two thousand four. Um, yeah. So I know that on that Blitz tour, that Worldwide Blitz tour, was one of the first big tours that Iron Maiden did. But I don't think they were on this leg of it though. I think they uh, they had to cancel a few shows around this time. I gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, you no know, Judas Priest. They're yeah. They're they're um, stage presence is very good you know you got like you know it's not like a band that just comes out there and plays their music they actually have you know it's pretty cool to see the guy come out there on a motorcycle you know he has like some of the the the, the glamour to his performance oh, yeah, and stuff sure. and you know obviously he's a great singer too you know there's a lot of good tracks you know this this track that i found was called troubleshooter um oh, which yeah. i thought it was a pretty good you know style track and you could definitely see this uh being played especially if we're at camp blackfoot you could be hearing this one blared throughout uh, the speakers over here when we're wilding and out there. But uh, you know, do you got any uh, uh, you know thoughts on the the Judas Priest? I love Judas Priest, man, and you should definitely listen to more Judas Priest. Um, their uh, mid era stuff is really good. Like I would say, from like late seventies to like late eighties, they were fantastic. They were so good. Um, a lot of people don't like their mid eighties material cause they started using like more synthesizers, but, um, and I didn't really like it then either, but I like that more now. I think it, it sounds cool. Um, they were, they're really good. I mean, they have two really great, um, 
lead guitar players and Rob Halford's one of the best metal singers of all time. Their shows are always really good. Um, but yeah, Judas Priest is great. And uh, you should definitely listen to more Judas Priest. Well, the album that they released close to the release of this movie was their album Point of Entry. All right, that album was released on February 26, 1981. So obviously they were doing the tour for this particular album around May 8th, 1981. And that's where the uh, the Troubleshooter song came from. It's from this particular album. Uh, would you like mm-hmm. to hear the album tracks? Sure, we can talk about those. Heading Out to the Highway. Classic song. That sounds like a motorcycle song if there is one. Uh, this is the one where uh, our boy Glazier probably was listening to. Don't Go. Don't Go, yeah. This is a whole... Every, every song on this album is good. Hot Rockin'. That sounds like an Allison track right there. <laughs> Turning Circles, Desert Plains, Solar Angels, You Say Yes, All the Way, Troubleshooter, On the Road, Thunder Road, and we have a live track. Well, this is the uh, this is the, the the bonus track version of Desert Plains Live. Yeah, yeah, that's a good album. It's a great album. Point of Entry is a great album. Um, Everybody should check it out. Yeah, we'd be, we'd be rocking the cassette over there in the Trans Am, listening to some Judas Priest. Uh, like I said, like we, uh, we'll, we'll play some Judas Priest at the end of this show and stuff, and maybe I'll play that that live version of Troubleshooter on the Facebook page to get them all sure. checking out. But like like we were saying before, you know, I guess I I I'm not the 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 biggest Judas Priest you know fan on the show, mm-hmm. but because I just I haven't done a lot of research on them, but I knew about them, but. Like when I saw them at the I mean, they were good. Like like I said, they had a very good stage presence. Uh, their songs are, you know, pretty rocking and stuff. So this is definitely, you know, during this time period, 1981, I could definitely see this band being uh, a pretty, especially for a metalhead and metal lover, this would be a definitely a good band to uh, keep in the uh, the good old um, the, the, the listing. It'd be one of your top five bands probably. Yeah, I would say during this time, like, you know, because like Iron Maiden, I mean, I talk about Iron Maiden on this show nearly every week, but, you know, like Iron Maiden was like a new band at this point. They were like, you know, still had their first singer. They weren't popular yet. I think they had released Killers, which is their second album at this point, but um, they weren't big or popular or really headlining anywhere. So, yeah, Judas Priest would have been like one of the biggest bands in metal at this time, for sure. Well, I got another shocker for you, too, Allison. Uh-oh. Everybody out there, me. too. So on May 8th, 1981, the band... Samson released the album Shock Tactics. Oh, yeah. And did you know, Allison? I did know, but go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Well, Well, did you know this? (laughs) (laughs) This was, it was singers Bruce Dickinson's last one with the band before joining Iron Maiden. I did not know that. But yeah, I knew that Bruce Dickinson was in uh, Samson right before he was in Iron Maiden. Um, And... um, yeah, Samson was a was a band that was like an up and coming band, and then they kind of got destroyed as soon as Bruce Dickinson left to join Iron Maiden. But it's all for the best because Dickinson made Iron Maiden better for yeah, sure, definitely, definitely. So a lot of you know a lot of good building blocks coming around in 1981 that we would see later on, especially in metal and pro wrestling too. So like I said, this is kind of like a very interesting uh, time period where a lot of things were like transitioning to to be something else. Whether it be good or bad, but there were transitioning. You could see it by all the 
the the platforms that we're seeing both in pro wrestling metal and horror movies as well too but how about we talk a little bit about the movie like i said some of the history segments a little light this mm. this 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 week but that's fine because we have a huge segment of talking about the burning and the production of the burning not only the production side but we also got a couple scandals to talk about too brother so let's get on into oh and then we also have uh the legend of what this movie is based about too yeah so well, there's a lot to talk about for this yes all right so the first piece of business we should talk about when it comes to this movie the burning will be the production so we're also we're going to talk about the production some little scandals and then we'll talk about the the legend of this movie was based upon too but uh, i kind of want to get your thoughts on this too allison of some of the um production notes we have over here so this movie was basically a, a harvey weinstein production and this yes. is when he was desperate to break into the movie business so, you know, during this particular area, you know, if you want to get into the movie business and you want to get like a hit and, you know, you don't have too much money, you know, let's do a horror movie. Because exactly during this particular time period, uh, low budget horror movies were, were pretty, uh, they, they were getting a lot of traction, you know, because we had the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is like 1974, and we had Halloween 1978. And obviously those ones, are, they're even big nowadays. Um, so, you know, during this time, a lot of filmmakers, especially if you're right out of school or something and you want to make a hit, you're just like, oh, well, fuck, you know, I don't got that much money. What am I going to do? Oh, let's just, you know, let's just make a low budget horror film and see what happens. <laughs> so. Yeah. Cause they were so low budget. Like I, you know, we'd mentioned this earlier in the show, but they were so low budget that you really didn't have to have that many people come to see them or have them play in that many theaters to, to make your money back because if you make double what you put into it then you know you're going to make a profit um and then you know i mean according to this this movie costs 1.5 million dollars to make but i don't think that's true there's no way that's possibly true um well they went over budget so i could see a little bit of that maybe our boy um maybe our boy glazier you know he had to have a little bit more oil maybe for for his arms that were kind of there (laughs) (laughs) that's later on the 80s my bad anyway so so uh so this is interesting too so basically uh harvey he heard the stories about the cropsy legend when he was a young camper in upstate new york which is you know the cropsy legend legend is a upstate new york uh, uh folk tale Mm. that we will get into here in a second. But he brought that idea um, to his uh, producing partner, Michael Cohn, uh, who loved the idea. So this project was... Um, this, this, so this, this project actually became like in production before the, prop, the, you know, the popularity of the first Friday the 13th film. So that's the one made by Sean S. Cunningham's Friday the 13th. So Harvey Weinstein created a, a five-page treatment in 1979 under the title The Cropsy Maniac. And he registered it in April 1980, a full month before um, Cunningham's film was released. So it's pretty interesting how these two directors that didn't know what they were doing, you know, they were, uh, they were making two ideas at the time. And they're both going to be about summer camps. All right. And then obviously we saw that one took off and the other one 
not so much. <laughs> yeah, definitely one definitely took off better. Um, I mean, the burning I think is can still considered a uh, a cult classic. Yeah, um, yeah, it, yeah. it became and like a thirteenth is way more known. Yeah, exactly. You know, Friday Thirteenth just had a little bit more. Um, you know, obviously a lot more uh, fanfare behind it when it comes to like making sequels and stuff like that. And it did a lot better in the box office too, even this particular time frame. So, so at the same time too, uh, director Joseph Ellison also had a film in pre-production under the title The Burning. But he changed the name to Don't Go in the House, 1980, to avoid confusion with Weinstein's film. So it's pretty interesting. You know, we kind of see that nowadays, but not really. Like, you know, if, if, if a film has the same title as another one, most of the time they just, like, still just release them. Unless, like, you know, maybe if the other one maybe has a little bit more fanfare behind it, maybe they might change it. But, you know, during this time, like, I guess everyone want to have their own, like, original uh, name and original production, too. So they wanted to be a lot different than the, than the others. Yeah, I guess the only people that are concerned about uh, names being too similar now is the WWE. So they change everybody's name. Yes. Yes, because <laughs> they might confuse Adam Cole and Michael Cole yeah. or Austin Theory and Stone Cold Steve Austin. People might get those people, those two those two uh, entities confused. So exactly. we have to make sure their names are completely Yeah, different. I'm already confused already. Like you're telling yeah, me there's totally. more than one in Austin? How can that be? Uh, there's to- how can it possibly be? Yes. <laughs> So this production also bore similarities to another slasher film in pre-production, a film that would become known as Madman, 1982. Which we're going to be probably reviewing all these movies I'm talking about too, but we're just going to go, yep. uh, we're just focusing right now on the Burnings style. In summer of 1980, during a casting call for Madman, one of the actresses commented that her boyfriend was acting in the Burning. So apparently, since this happened, this pr- uh, prompted Madman to change its entire premise which was built around the Crapsby legend. So we were having two movies focusing on the Crapsby legend and one movie heard, I mean, I guess the Madman movie heard that the, the Burning was doing it and they're just like, ah, we got to change everything now, which is very interesting. Yeah, because that wouldn't happen today. Yes, yeah, exactly. They just make yeah. two movies they about would, it. They would just make two movies about it. Remember when uh, back in the, I guess, the 90s or the 2000s when they had all those like asteroid movies that came out all at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, fuck it. We're just going to do everything. <laughs> we'll just do it too. So it, it's just really interesting because, you know, this changed their production. This changed their storyline. And it even halted back productions of this Madman movie. It was delayed, you know, costly for the film. And it did not receive a theatrical release until January 1982. And this is basically, you because know, there's an oversaturation of, you know, horror-drawn films competing with each other. And it was a uh, it was kind of like a uh, a side effect of the '80s slasher, but which is really interesting though, because you know nowadays you know if we're gonna let's say we do the legend about you know the the, the Loch Ness monster and stuff, and I got really popular, you know we just do have like five movies about it, nobody's gonna give a shit, right? You know, now, exactly. now, this day there I think w- what was going on is everybody wanted their own original style hit, so they didn't want to have movies that competed with their own original style hit. They wanted a just uh, original story to make it. Which I, I can appreciate it, you know, like, you know, it's kind of like I, I could appreciate that for being like an artist, you know. So let's say, you know, let's say me and you, Allison, we wanted to make a movie about, you know, the, uh, the, the, what's it called? The, the, like an axe murderer, 
You know, I mean, yes, mm. we, you know, we know that's pretty much has been done all the time. But let's say back in the 80s, like, OK, nobody has used a uh, one of my things. Let's say maybe a katana sword or something. You know what I mean? Right. And then we found out another film is making the same legend of katana sword. And, you know, they're, they're way more in production than we are. And they're going to get their film released before us. I mean, we're just going to look like a secondary copy if we would do another movie just like them, like like a couple months later, you know. So now we got to think of more of a creative idea to be different, but also be in the same kind of genre as well, too. So I can respect that. Yeah. Plus, at the same time, you know, when you're counting your profit in pennies, you know, when you're, you know, you're in a few limited movie theaters that didn't get the big movie of the week and you put out a movie called The Burning at the same time, another movie is called The Burning. I mean, maybe somebody gets confused and goes to see their movie when they intended to see yours. And, you know, that's a little bit of money you lost there. Yeah. So, um, what the, the other uh, um, producer, Michael, he told Variety that he and Weinstein and producer Corky Berger, <laughs> that's a real name. Interesting. Corky Berger. Took an yeah. early version of the script to the 1980s Canon Film Festival, where it was met with positive reception. I thought they rejected an initial six figure offer, hoping to land more money once the film had been shot. This was a similar approach to how Friday the 13th had earned its dis- distribution with Paramount Pictures. So, and we, you know, we could still see that too. Like a lot of films still um, will, will, you know, will have their their picture shown at the, uh, the you know, Canon Film Festivals or big film festivals to kind of get um, recognized out there, especially for independent films. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, everybody takes their, not everybody, but I mean, a lot of people takes their movies to, uh, to cons and then they, uh, hopefully get distribution for them. Pulp Fiction did that. And yeah, uh, I think it, I don't know. I think, I think actually Reservoir Dogs, uh, got distribution for Pulp Fiction when, when they went with that, but that was completely independent, uh, going back to the Weinsteins again. And, but, um, but yeah, so yeah, that's a typical thing. And it, it's interesting that they took the script to this, but no movie. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that people did that. Like the, the people just read scripts at, at the festival sometimes maybe yeah i guess they do i didn't you know i don't know so um this movie was directed by a british director named tony Malem, and he was known for making music documentaries he made the uh documentaries such as white rock and he made a couple other um a couple other like horror movies too he did the riddle in the sands and he did split second so hmm, that's interesting i didn't know that i wasn't really familiar with the guy with the guy's work other than this. Yeah. But yeah. Exactly. So, and then, um, so he was hired to, to film, um, you know, direct The Burning in the summer of 1980. And he, uh, the uh, Malem, he, he met uh, Wingsting and Berger while the producers were, were worked as a rock promoters. So that's how they all kind of met, was working on some like rock productions and stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I was about to say I didn't actually remember that, but not until you mentioned it. But yeah, Weinstein started off as like a as a music promoter um, because there's a really famous um, Grateful Dead concert in 1977 at Cornell University that's considered like one of the best Grateful Dead shows ever played, and he produced that show. He promoted that show, like he booked them and uh, promoted it at Cornell. But yeah, so this is interesting too. So the screenplay was written by Peter Lawrence and Harvey's brother Bob Weinstein. So it's again showing a knowledge of the Indian the the end vogue conversations of the slasher film. So they're 
they're coming up with a script that would be like a really good like different style uh, slasher script so this this script showcased a murder every 10 minutes in the script it was Malin's idea to make uh, Cropsey's weapon of choice gardening shears. The film originally had a different ending. Um, a scripted date, July 6, 1980, shifted the location to, to a much more uh, in keeping with the summer camp slasher. Originally, the showdown was to dep- take place in a boathouse. So we're going to have the final confrontation in a boathouse. Because when I see, think of summer camps, I think of boathouses. The other, yeah, I mean that would have still worked. I mean that's yeah. similar to the ending we got, though. Well, the one we got was kind of weird. It was like a, 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 a cave that they did gold mining at. Yeah. Okay. The other big change is that Todd ends up has the final boy, rather than has the heroic adult, and Alfred is killed by Cropsey. Other changes include an excessive character named Alan, who was to be the love interest for Tiger. This version, this version also ended with a campfire scene, but the last line is different. And every year he seeks revenge for the terrible things those kids did to him. Every year he keels. So, you know, a couple little changes. You know, we always see that in, in movies and stuff, but it's always interesting to see, like, what what could have been with some of yeah, the scripts I mean, over no, here. Yeah, I mean, no movie is produced on a first draft, but this one's kind of interesting because... Although the burning really didn't seem to change as much as the other movies did, but a lot of movies changed around this time because they're like, oh, we're doing that. Well, let's completely rewrite our movie so that it's not similar to these other people's movies. Yeah, and this is, this is before we get into some of the cast, <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about, um, so Tom Savini was the makeup artist in this movie, which yes. you can definitely tell because every time he does Hell some yeah. shit, it, it, looks great. it looks great. It looks good. It looks real good in this movie. So, you know, at the time, you know, Tonsby, he, he flew from Pixford, you know, to meet with them. Um, he he already had under his belt already at this time. He had Dawn of the Dead. He had uh, Friday the 13th, Maniac, and Eyes of a Stranger. You know, so, and it's really, it's really interesting, too, because apparently, Savini turned down the chance to work on Friday the 13th, Part 2, 1981. Uh, because he could not understand the logic that Jason was fully grown and was not the killer, and was now the killer, as well as what he described had a miscommunication with the film's backers. He also said that he liked the script for The Burning. So he basically did The Burning except for doing Friday the 13th Part 2, which is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he's not wrong, right? I mean, yeah. if, you, if we go back and look at those movies in a vacuum, like it doesn't make, Friday the 13th past the first movie doesn't make any sense. None of it does. You know, I mean, are we supposed to believe that, you know, Jason's been living in the woods for 30 years or whatever, and then, like, all of a sudden decides to start killing people? Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're, he's right. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any logical sense. However, Friday the 13th Part 2 is my favorite of all of the movies. Yeah, I mean, you could basically just say that one is just the start of it. Yeah, if you think about exactly. it. So, the, some of the filming stuff, you know, the burning was shot in late summer, 1980, around Buffalo and uh, New York. Uh, Much of the filming took place in or around existing summer camps to give it an authentic look while keeping costs down. And the cast wore their own clothes throughout the production. So I thought that, you know, that part's always cool. buy costumes. Yeah, spark the costumes. You guys just come what you're wearing. And then most of the cast were obviously from the New York area, so they were aware of the Copsy legend. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, before we talk about the legend, um, a little bit about the cast on this film is very interesting. So the most interesting one, obviously, is the guy who played Dave, which is Jason Alexander, who yes. is best known for being George Costana in Seinfeld. Yeah, um, I was I did not remember he was in this movie. I saw this movie years ago. Yes. And then I watched it again and I'm like, oh, it's George from Seinfeld. Yes. And it's very interesting, too, because, you know, we we talked a little bit about this in our first ever episode of Retro Blood. You know, it's a lot of times horror movies would where you get your first break. You know what I mean? Like, you would get mm-hmm. your first break in these horror movies because they would just hire, you know, you don't have to be the most seasoned veteran actor or actress to be in, in these horror movies. You just got to, like, show up and, you know, obviously, you know, at least know what you're doing when it comes there. But it's really interesting where we have, like, you know, the, the guy from Seinfeld. We had Johnny Depp in horror movies. You know, we had, like, Kevin Bacon. You know, all kinds of actors and stuff like that who who made their fame in different genres. You know, they're fame in there, but they all started out in the horror movie genre at first. Yeah, and, and like, in this movie, it's particularly interesting because usually in those movies, you have one person that stood out, you know, and you could say, you could tell that that person was going to be something. And when we watch those movies now, like, you can look back and say, yeah, you can tell in this movie that Jason Alexander is a better actor than most of the people that he's in that room, in the room with. Um, and the same with Nightmare on Elm Street with Johnny Depp. You could tell he was going to be a star. And even in Friday the 13th with uh, Kevin Bacon, you could tell he was going to be something. This movie, though, had like three people that became pretty famous. I mean, you had Jason Alexander, uh, Holly Hunter is in this, playing Sophie, and um, uh, Fisher Stevens is in this as well. Yes, Woodstock. He played Woodstock, yeah, he played Woodstock. So I know him best from The Blacklist, but I know he was in a bunch of other um, TV shows as well, too. So, yeah, yeah, this is de- definitely pretty interesting to see uh, the progression. And, of course, you know, I, I, I might be getting, uh, 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 I might be on everybody's blacklist if I say this, but I, I didn't actually watch a whole lot of Seinfeld. I, I don't like Seinfeld at all. I'm not I mean, a fan at all. So I was like, yeah, it's, it's okay. But I knew, you know, I know the characters from Seinfeld, but I never really, like, watched it. And I was a big uh, watcher of those kind of, like, sitcom, you know, style shows, but... Seinfeld just never really like this is never really my thing. I actually knew this guy, Jason Alexander, when he did the the voice for Duckman. Did you ever see Duckman? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That animated oh, that's, show? that's a great show. Yeah, that's a fantastic. great show. And he was great on that show playing Duckman. I used to watch that shit all the time. I think they played on MTV if I if I'm not mistaken. But I could be wrong. Um but uh but yeah. It's like there's like the dark, uh, it's like a dark horse comics, the Duckman stuff. That show was great, and yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely miss seeing that one. Oh, it was actually the USA Network. That's right, because it would come after, uh, I think it would come after uh, Raw and stuff. I remember hearing right. about Duckman uh, when they would promote it on Monday Night Raw. So there's our tie-in. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's our tie-in to Monday Night Raw again. So, uh, this part is going to be a little weird. So, Uh-oh. there's always controversy when, obviously, we were talking about the Weinsteins. And, you know, they, obviously, in recent years, they've been, you know, especially during the Speak Out movement and everything, they've become, you know, a lot of controversial figures because of how they portrayed themselves um, on the, the, the set of a lot of these movies and how they would treat women on a lot of these movies as well, too. 
Um, and so they obviously, you know, that's that's came down for all the uh, the sexual abuse allegations that were happening. Um, and this movie is no different because this one. So this is what happened on October fifteenth, two thousand seventeen. Former production assistant Paula, I can't even say her last name, so I'm not going to try. Alleged that the producer Harvey Weinstein uh, predatorial behavior went back to filming The Burning in June 1980. Then she was a 24-year-old University at Buffalo graduate and divorced mother. Um, Paula uh, was tasked with getting Weinstein to sign checks from an auditor working with the production's accounting department. When Paula arrived at the Weinstein's hotel room to have him sign the checks, he allegedly answered the door wearing only a towel, and then, and then, that then he dropped and asked for a massage from his employee. When Paula refused, she 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 um she says that Weinstein harassed her about the incident through the rest of the film's production up until the film's May 1981 premiere. So we got a little little um. Uh, Weinstein controversy heading all the way back to the uh, production of this movie. So. I was about to say, so that's the same story everybody else told, right? Like he would just, you would just show up at his hotel and he's just wearing a towel or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically guess, he's, he's always been a scumbag, I guess. Pretty much. Just crazy. You know, obviously they, they're big in the, the television production and we're going to be, you know, seeing a lot of films that they made, but you know, there's always that darker side of the, the Hollywood that they, that they, you know, that they did. So it's just pretty crazy. But um, let's speaking of it. Did you tell us a little bit about the legend of the crop speed, what this movie is based around? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned before, I saw this movie years ago, so I probably haven't seen it in, I don't 30 years, 25 years, a long time. Like I've, you know, I've haven't seen it in a long, long time. But um, I knew about the Cropsey legend from a friend of mine who's from Staten Island. And I knew of Cropsey as a Staten, to me, from, my, you know, only hearing the story from him, Cropsey is like a Staten Island boogeyman. And he's like, um, you know, don't, like he, he was, what I got from him was that it's like um, a story parents tell their kids to keep them from running too far away from home. You know, so don't go out or Cropsey will get you. And like the, what I'd always heard or what I'd heard from him was that Cropsey was like this escaped mental patient who like lives in the woods in Staten Island, which Staten Island is still kind of woody. You know, it's right outside New York City, but it's still kind of woody. And, um, you know, they live, you know, he lives in the woods. He's an escaped mental patient and he murders little kids um, and he has a hook for a hand. You know that we've heard that story a million times, right? The the killer with a hook for a hand. That's in a lot of urban legends. Mm-hmm. But um, you know that was like a it was like a legend that apparently an urban legend. Apparently, a lot of people from this area knew. And I didn't know until we did research for the show that it extended all the way up to um, upstate New York as well, because that's quite a ways away. But I guess people up in Buffalo area also talk about this uh, maniac loose in the woods that will kill people. But yeah, he was basically, I mean, that's basically the whole story was that he was just like this maniac who lived in the woods and killed children. So don't go far away from home, kids, um, or Cropsey will get you. Yeah, and wasn't his, um, kind of like his base, like a former like mental um, mental um, health establishment? 
Well, kind of like that's what they talk about in that documentary that I sent you that link to. Mm-hmm. But that was that like, a lot of people did talk about that was like there was an old uh, Willowbrook is an old um, mental institution that was shut down after it was discovered how they were like mistreating patients. Um, and uh, a young Geraldo Rivera did an expose on it. in I guess the seventies, I think is when that happened. I think yeah. it was still the seventies. Um, and, um, like they were basically just taking these like, um, severely mentally disabled people and just like putting them in a room and just locking them in a tour room. Cause I mean, you know, they probably, a lot of these people probably didn't know what to do with people like that at the time, not yeah. to give them an excuse, but you know, they were just like, I don't, I don't know how to deal with these people and we're on a state budget. So we don't have a lot of money. So we're just going to put these kids in a room and then hope they survive. And that's basically um, what they uncovered. So when that got uncovered, then it, it kind of seemed like, um, uh, you know, that, okay, well, I can see how something like Cropsy could happen if people are under this kind of, inv- if they grew up in this kind of environment, maybe Cropsy grew up in this kind of environment too. And that's why he's a maniac now, you know, that kind of thing. And then, um, uh, then there actually were some like in the eighties and in, in Staten Island area, there were actually were some kid disappearances, um, which, you know, kind of made the legend come, come to life in a way. And that's when the serial or the not serial killer, but like, uh, Andre Rand was convicted of killing all those kids. Um, who, uh, basically lived in the woods. I mean, he kind of fit the Cropsy thing perfectly, right? He lived in the woods and around Willowbrook and, you know, it was kind of like, uh, not all there mentally, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Definitely pretty crazy. You know, so I mean and this this movie takes a little bit of the uh the the legend, uh, except for you know for, for a hook, he's just using garden shears. And yeah. um, you know, he's just kinda like a uh, a masked figure that he just creeps out and attacks you from the woods. Yeah, and I don't remember him being burned in the legend either. Uh, well, we had to, you know, the, the title is called The Burning, so we had to have somebody burn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we got to get that gimmick in, brother. All right. <laughs> we got to pay off that title, right? Yes. But let's get into it, everybody. Let's get into the full review of The Burning. <laughs> about being with someone where no one can see you, don't. Because this summer, a legend of terror isn't just a campfire story anymore. They say he smashed his way through the bunk room door, just a mass of flames. Burned alive, cried out. I will return. I will have my revenge. He lives on whatever he can catch. Right now, he's out there. What happened one summer five years ago is about to happen again, and again, and again. The Burning. All right. 
So we start everything off. We're at Camp Blackfoot. What a name. Like we have fucking Camp name. Rolling Hills. We have a Camp fucking... Cause all these names are just so interesting, interesting to me. So we have Camp Blackfoot. All right. And we have these uh, these kids. And they're like in the dark in their little cabin. And they're saying like, we're finally going to get them. Yeah, we're going to get them good. And it's like, are you guys ready? You, ra- you ready, Nate? You ready, big number? You ready, Billy? They said all these names like super fast. I was like, I couldn't even keep up. And then my kid was like, yeah, we're finally going to get that motherfucker. And they're basically planning to scare the uh one of the main cancer guys uh Crapsby. all right that's is their that's their uh, that's their way and uh they basically we, we see a bunch of like kids they're all down for it to scare them a couple of kids are hesitant but they all agree they all like bond their hands together and we're gonna do this we're gonna scare them right now tonight is the night to scare this motherfucker because he's been he's been he's been getting on to us about all kinds of shit. He's being an asshole. And their, and their big thing is, the main guy is just saying, like, hey, once we do this, we might even give him a heart attack. So we have these kids. They're basically trying to get revenge on this this counselor guy. All right? So they all go out there. We all sneak into his, uh, his room. He's in the caretaker room. I guess he's the caretaker of the, of the grounds. Yep. And the, the, the guy, the main guy, who has the, kind of like the fro looking here he comes in there and the cropsy he's like sleeping even though he wakes up for a second and goes back to sleep it was just totally comical and like there's like this box and it looks like he's lighting the box on fire but he lights it on fire he gets outside and then all the kids start like tapping on the door and then making wolf noises and it takes him a while to wake this guy up so he's a heavy sleeper and this part was a little weird so he wakes up and then he sees like a dead skull with worms lit on fire. Yeah, I already have a question. Okay, go ahead. So is is this a real skull? I don't know. Like they never explained this in the movie. So yes. did they just dig up a body and like from a grave and like put a skull with worms on it in, in his house? I I I that's what it looks like. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's what it's implied to be, right? Like it's a real yes. skull. They don't show them making a fake skull or anything like that. It's exactly. implied to be a real human skull that these kids, yes. like the kids, are more terrifying than Cropsy is at this. I point. know exactly. So these kids somehow found a cemetery around their summer camp, Blackfoot. <laughs> Apparently, there's a cemetery over there. They snuck out to the cemetery. They they ungraved a dead body. They grabbed its <laughs> skull and then they put some lights on it just to scare this Cropsy guy. Yeah, yeah. And they never really say anything negative about Crofts other than he drinks a lot, but they don't say like Well, they said like he No, 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 they did say he was mean. Like he would he apparently okay, right. apparently this Cropsy guy was getting on to the main um kid. I think the name kid, his name is Nate. He was there he was getting on to him a lot. Right. That's what they said later on in the film. Like he was just he basically was tormenting the wrong kid. Apparently so cuz this okay. this fucking kid was like apparently he's a grave robber. Apparently, he's a grave robber. So I thought he that was the wrong kid. Right? I thought that was more shocking than the fucking uh, what happened next. I was like, man, these kids are like crazy. They're fucking digging up graves and shit. Like, why is there even a grave around Camp Black? Anyway, right? Like, like, <laughs> what the fuck's going on here? So anyway, the head the, he gets scared, right? So the head falls on his bed, and then he just starts lighting on fire, and it just so happens to be there. Just so happens to be gasoline right next to him. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, just just that just there's it's like a whole like yeah. series of unfortunate incidents that happens to this guy. And it shouldn't be funny because it's supposed to be tragic, but like yes. you know, like in most cases, if you knock over a candle, it's just gonna go out. But in this case it didn't. It just ignited the yes. blanket and which ignited the gasoline, which happened to be right next to his bed for some reason. Yes. And then, and then of course the and of course he gets outside burning and everybody's just looking at him. Like there's no like medical staff on site for this camp. There's no fire extinguisher. There's no there, you don't even see any other camp counselors. You just see all the kids just looking at him like, "Oh, that sucks." <laughs> <laughs> and of course That's he lights so on funny. fire and he falls into the lake. Huh. Yeah, well, I mean, what's uh, what else is he going to do, right? Yes. So <laughs> Um, and like, nobody just helps him. So now it's, uh, it's one week later. All right. We are at the hospital and this is my, uh, this is, so I have two favorite parts of this movie and they don't have to do with anything with killing. They have to do with the dialogue. So this is my first favorite part of the movie. So we have like this, um, orderly guy and apparently there's like a new doctor on staff and he is going like, hey, man, uh, you know, how you doing? Um, <laughs> he's all like, oh, you're new to this job? He's like, yeah. He's like, oh, you ain't going to last one week. This fucking job sucks. It's going to make you feel old as shit. You're going to hate this fucking job. Like, this job is, is the worst job you've ever seen. Wait till I show you this fucking guy. i, I never seen anything like this before in my life. This guy is crazy. And the guy was like, just kind of say something. He's like, no, 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 man. You're, you're going to hate this job. It sucks. <laughs> I was just like... I was like, man, this is like every job that like you get into on your first day. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. And then you find out, yeah. I was like, oh, everything's great here. And then like you run to the people that work there and like, ah, this is how this job really is. Yeah. This <laughs> is like, you won't last at all. Once you see this guy, I've never seen some guy before. He's fucking cooked. He He's like an overcooked whopper. <laughs> Which uh, I thought that was a weird, uh, uh, weird analogy but yeah and he's just going on he's like man this guy's a freak he's a monster there's nothing left he's so burnt up you can't even see him and shit and then they go into his place he's like hey man you gotta see this you wanna be a doctor right you gotta come see this stuff come look at him man come look and he's to keep saying it he keeps saying it and eventually our Cripsy our, 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 our or Cropsy grabs his fucking hand and then he screams a little bit and everybody starts screaming and this is when we had the intro to our burning movie so I thought this part was a little weird too. Tell me if you think this is weird, Allison. So we're five. Le- we're, this is five years later. Five, okay. Uh, uh, Cropsy is about to be released from the hospital, <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, man." Uh, <laughs> they're just saying something like nonchalant too. They're like, "Hey, we got to release you from the hospital. You know, we know you're burnt. We try to do our best stuff, but we can't do anything for you. Um, you just got to figure out in your society. But hey, you know, those cabers just don't, don't don't worry about that." You know what I mean? Don't don't go back for revenge. Okay? Yeah, there's like just don't don't kill the kids. Yeah. <laughs> we know you got a problem with these kids, but yeah. just just don't kill them. Yes. So like, you know, we know you're hurt and everything and you know, we know they 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 pretty much scarred you for life and you can't you go live a normal life though. Okay? We can't help you anymore. Get out of here. But don't kill those kids though. Don't do that. Okay? Whatever you do. <laughs> I was like, have you ever seen that in a movie before like Okay, we're we're gonna blatantly tell you what this guy is gonna do by telling him what not to do. <laughs> right. It, yeah. I mean, it was just like I mean, they could have just released him, and then that, and then then he goes on to be a 
uh, mm. you know, a, a maniac, but like they have to like force you out of that by saying, just whatever you do, you know, don't, uh, we know you harbor a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of hate against these kids, but, uh, don't do anything about that. Yeah. Control your hatred. All right. Yeah. You're good. We didn't have five years of, of, we just tried to fix your body. We didn't try to fix your mind, but Hey, go out there and have fun. Gotcha. Yeah. Live a normal life. Yes. So now we are at, now we're seeing a bunch of scenes of adult clubs everywhere. I think one of them is called Sweet Cherries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, buddy. And uh, this is when we see a girl showing off her leg. And she's walking up to her established room of inter- of uh, pleasure. And she, we could see kind of like the uh, cropsies in the background. And she's like, you coming up, honey? Because I'm going in. <laughs> and she, he eventually walks upstairs. Uh he turns off the light. She's like, okay, you want to keep it low-key? So we're seeing that this girl is like a prostitute. All yeah. right? She likes to keep it low-key. Let's get this going. Uh, Why are you hanging out there in the shadows? And this is when Cropsy appears a little bit. And then she like, she goes into acting mode. She's like, this is a... So what did you think about this scene of the prostitute dying? Because like, there's a minute where he walks up and she realizes, oh, crap, this guy's a burnt victim. And he's kind of like a monster. And she like just mm-hmm. goes into total like shock mode like oh no like, don't hurt me please don't hurt me and stuff and then she gets stabbed and everything i thought that scene was pretty uh, i thought it was pretty well done because we don't see that kind of like real emotion when you're about to die kind of thing because sometimes people are just screaming hollering and everything she was actually like just like terrified i thought that was yeah, like a pretty yeah. cool scene yeah i agree like i was gonna i thought you were gonna say that you didn't like it but yeah, yeah. i um thought it was kind of cool like that whole scene was kind of cool because Cropsy's wearing like um isn't he wearing like a like a raincoat and a hat kind of and you can't see him at all he's like just they shoot him like just as a dark figure yeah which if if it's intentional is really cool but it could just be because they didn't have any damn lighting in this movie but they didn't want to do the (laughs) the makeup (laughs) right they they, yeah they won't do the makeup yet so because i think they only use the makeup in one scene if i'm not mistaken but um but yeah they um but it just he just looked cool as a black silhouette and that that actually i think looks really good i mean i think they shot that really well but yeah this is a cool scene where she's like she shows like you know like what seems like genuine fear against this uh this guy who's like this disfigured person Um, yeah i thought it was a good scene too and um so his outfit i'm pretty sure that the the movie i know you did last summer ripped it off because absolutely because it has the same exact, you know, coat, and he's actually using the hook. So I wouldn't be surprised if that movie ripped off the the, the Cropsy uh, legend there. Yeah, there well. I'm sure it did too. And also, um, the very first scene in the movie where it shows the cabin, mm-hmm. that whole that the way they shot that, the, or the way that set looked, is exactly the way, if I remember correctly, that scene uh, from uh, or that season of American Horror Story, which was similar to this movie um look too like it, it's almost like they made that set for american horror story to look just like the set from the burning yeah and that'll be a american horror story 1984 is yes. where that came from so yeah very very similar when it comes to the setting place so now we are in camp stone water so it's no longer blackfoot it's called Stonewater because how do we cover up a uh, a crazy murder or a tragedy to happen we just change the name so just we, change the name. Nobody will know the difference. Yeah, nobody knows the difference, so it's fine. So we have all these kids are playing uh, baseball. A lot of the girls and the guys kind of mixing around. 
And this is when we first see Dave and his uh, his his jersey that he wears. <laughs> like every scene, he has like the jersey top. I think it was like ninety six or something. Yeah, ninety six. Yeah. Well, they brought their own clothes, right? Yes. And then we see Eddie looking at the girl Karen's booty. All right. And they're talking about like how. So basically, uh, that we find we figured out that uh, Eddie and Karen have a little something going on. And Eddie was going to go up to her and, you know, try to flirt with her and stuff. And this is when we get Tiger. She, the ball got hit into the forest. Tiger's looking for it. And then we can see that Cropsey has arrived back to his killing, to, to, well, I guess he didn't kill anybody, back to the, 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 the camp where he tragically burned to death and nobody helped him. And he's about to attack Tiger, but she gets away. And this is also too when we get Eddie slapping like Karen's booty and saying like, yep. "Hey, I'm gonna you know, meet you later around 8:30." Okay. So we're seeing the, the 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 establishment of all these different characters. So now we have all the kids. You know, we always have the kids eating in the hall. You know, the big the big. Uh, we got to show them all eating and interacting with each other. Um, this is just talking about like, um. So all the kids, this movie is like a lot of talking. So it's like a lot of like getting like, this is like a certain talking where like everybody's telling like jokes while they're talking to be very sarcastic. They're like, hey, yeah. hey, you're over there fucking eating your little soup. Like what kind of big man do you think you are? Like, hey, you're over there fucking getting scared and shit, you little pissy, you know, stuff like that. They're, they're doing that kind of style of dialogue. The very, the very New York style dialogue in this film. Yeah. Uh... So this is when this is when we're kind of figuring out that some of the kids are going to be going on to like a uh, like a, a canoe ride, and Karen's basically saying like, "Hey, you know, they told me." So Karen's basically telling her friend, like, "This Eddie guy, I like him, but I don't like him. I like him because you know he's a, I guess like a nice kid, but he is a little bit too aggressive. He's like a too aggressive." And I can't really trust him. So I'm going back and forth with him right now. So we're seeing some of the kid drama over here. And of course they mm. use the, the line, if it gets too heavy, I can always go back to camp. Yes. And, uh, remember that they used to use that line all the time in the, in the 70s. If everything gets too heavy. Right. So yeah. <laughs> yes. If everything gets too heavy, we can go back to camp. Yes. What, whatever that means. I'm, I'm not really sure what that means. Well, heavy means like, you know. the, the, no, the I know the, what that the, means, but. The camp, what does the camp part mean? No, because she's about to go on this canoe ride. All right. Oh, never mind. But All if right, Eddie idiot, is sorry. acting up to her, she can go back to camp and be a little bit more safer. Uh, oh, never mind. I got it. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. So this is when we have this one girl. She wakes up. Uh, looks like she has a Rolling Stones t-shirt on. The white one. Yeah. This girl's uh, name is the- Sally. All right, and she is taking a uh, uh, she is uh, taking a shower, and she hears a noise in there, and she keeps asking for Michelle, and Michelle is like the main woman uh, uh, girl counselor. All right, but Michelle is uh, is in the girls' camp now, waking everybody up. So Sally still thinks it's Michelle in there. It's not. She screams, and everybody hears her screaming. They all run towards her, and we find out that Alfred was peeping Tommen. On this girl, Sally. Yep. This is our obligatory nude scene, nude shower scene that every horror slasher horror movie has to have. Yes. 
That's for yes, so check exactly. that box. <laughs> yes, we had to have our our, our 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 tits in this particular scene, so we got yep. that out of the way. So this is like when then now now all the kids are like you know they're getting on to Alfred and stuff, and this is when Todd shows up. Todd is like the main guy counselor. And Michelle's going off like this fucking guy's a pervert and shit. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. Todd's like, no, no, no. He just he, he was just trying to scare her or something like that. For this this part didn't really make sense either. So Todd Alfred is basically a kid. He doesn't have any friends. Okay, he he's forced to come to summer camp. Everybody's picking on me, but his goal was to scare Sally. Like wow. Was he yeah, doing I mean, that it, to get it picked on? It doesn't make any sense. It it doesn't make <laughs> any sense from like a logical perspective. Yes. But I mean, I guess I could see that. Like he's like maybe that's why he doesn't have any friends because he just doesn't know. Like maybe his society, his, his social cues are not that good, so he doesn't really know, you know, how to interact with people. And uh, you know, so he thinks that scaring Sally is going to be fun, and may- maybe people are going to laugh at that. But yeah, uh, he's wrong. But you know, he was just wrong about. That, and of course, I Michelle guess. calls him a, a sexual uh, pervert. Yeah, and then the kids call him weird. Better. Yeah, and then they call him. Yeah, he's a little strange, but we'll, we'll do it. And then this is when Todd. You know, this is he brings him to the camp. He's all like, "Hey, you know, we can't have you doing this stuff. I, you know, I don't want to send you home and everything." And of course, you know, at first he kind of like he doesn't want to be there. Alfred doesn't want to be there at all. He's getting picked on and stuff. And uh, you know, Todd's like, "Well, you know, I was at this camp before too, and I got sent home. So if you ever need anybody to talk to, just talk to me." And this is when we also bring up the name of Glacier, not Glacier. Our boy WCW Glacier. That's what I was thinking the whole time. Yeah, I kept saying it's not name. the guy from not the guy from WCW. It's a different one. <laughs> it's Glacier, brother. And apparently he is like he he he's basically hinting that this this guy has been like picking on him during the whole movie too. Um, and then after this, um, the girls are all talking about you know we had the Sally girl there, we had the Karen girl there, we had the Tiger girl there. They're all talking about you know the creep of Alfred and stuff. And then we figured out that Sally you know has a semi crush on this Glacier guy. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're just talking about, you know, having to go on the canoe rides as well. That's coming up. This is when we, we finally meet Glazier. Now, this guy was a fucking character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I feel about Glazier. Like he, so he's bullying Alfred. All right. And then just the way he was saying everything, he was like, yeah, stay away from my girl. You know, I'm going to hurt you bad. I'm going to get you and I'm going to hurt you bad. Okay. Just the way like his whole presentation was was just like semi comical. Right. Well, yeah, I mean it's 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 comical, but at the same time he's like he's not your typical like um summer camp bully though. He's yeah. Um he, he's he's pretty abusive and pretty violent. Like he like you know, like you're supposed to I think in most most these situations you're supposed to take it as like, well, you know, he's a bully, but you know, he's he could turn around and be a good person. But I don't really get that feeling from glazer at this point like he just seems like like a maniac almost yeah like he like literally wants to hurt the other kids the other campers or whatever yeah but like we see like his sensitive side later later (laughs) yes we'll get to that we'll get to that part so basically threatened the alfred the whole time todd walks up you know todd's like hey man what you know what are you doing with this kid he's just like you know he's a freak and everything you shouldn't be you shouldn't be investigating me he's the one's pre uh, you know creeping on all these girls and stuff and and then Todd's like, listen, man, don't be bothering him or it's going to be your ass. I was like, okay. 
So now we have all the girls by the dock. Everybody's having a good time. Uh, we have David over here uh, with his Leonard 96 shirt on. Uh, this David guy, like, if you want a guy who can do wisecracks of everything, David is your man. Because he does wisecracks on everything. Like, this guy... Yes, he's all, the, all... Right, he's the, the jokester, right? The, yes. The, the chef to have in all these movies. Yes, he's just joking about everything. So apparently Alfred, he hates to swim. Okay, so everybody jumps in the pool, but then Glazier pushes his ass in the pool, and everybody's getting all upset. Um, and then, and then of course, the line from Glacier is, "Can't swim? Well, you better rescue him." Well, yeah, because he can't swim. It's not that he doesn't like to; he, he can't. He can't swim, so yes. he pushes them in. He's going to drown if they don't save him. Yes, and then they do save him. And they do, yes. Unlike uh, unlike Cropsey, they they do save him. Yes. <laughs> unlike him yes exactly so now Gla now now our bit our boy glazier now he is swimming over to the ladies to hit on him and he passes all the ladies just to talk to sally and this guy's like hey sally uh what are you what are you what are you doing on later how you doing and uh, he's like talking to her and everything and then the whole group like dave woodstock yes woodstock isn't that's his name woodstock that's yeah. his name. We have exactly. Dave, Woodstock, Eddie. They're all there. Alfred. And their plan is to shoot Glazier in the buttocks with their BB gun. Right. And before we get there, I thought I want to say that I thought this scene looked really good. Like the scene where they're in the water and then Glazier says he's going to swim over to the little dock where the, the little floating thing where the girls are. Um, and then the very next shot, when they switch to the kids in the water talking, you can see Glazer jump over the top of them into the water. Yeah. Like they didn't have to put that in there. Like they could have just, you know, assumed you knew that he swam, swam over there, but you know, it just looked really cool to me. Like it was really professional. Like they really thought about that when they made that, that when they directed that scene, but I thought that was really cool. Yes. And you know, the Glazer this whole time, he's trying to hit on the Sally girl and then they eventually shoot him in the ass. Woodstock does. Glazier's all threaten them and stuff, and they all moon him, and they all run away. Okay. Yeah. So they shoot the bully in the ass. Yes. And then the 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 other the, the one of the girls pushes Glazier into the into the lake. So now this now we're back in like the the kids bunker, and it's all the kids we saw that shot uh, Glacier in the butt, but then Glacier is just there, just hanging out. Like, he's not even, like, threatening him and stuff. I guess he just got over it. I guess. Like, <laughs> that thing is really strange. Like, yeah. like he's such an extreme person. Like, he's, like, literally, like, he's not like, you know, I'm going to kick your ass. He's like, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you bad. Like, you know, like, threatening things that, you know, I would Yeah, but he doesn't really follow through. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. But then in the very next, like, you know, the, that night, they're all just hanging around together. And yeah. The, it's like, oh, fuck it. I the, forgot. Uh, in, in, the, in the cabin or whatever. <laughs> So Dave arrives, and now he's handing out playboys and hustlers. And of yeah, course, he's what going a great counselor. <laughs> no, Dave is not a counselor. He's just one of the kids. He just got a shipment from uh, from his sources to hand out oh, right. playboys and hustlers. There's it's only... always confusing these movies. Like I can't tell who the kids are and who the counselors are because they all look like they're like thirty years old. <laughs> like the Seinfeld guy <laughs> yeah. looks like he's like thirty five. <laughs> He did look kind of older for his age, but I, it, it, it was weird though seeing him younger than what we saw him in Seinfeld though. That that was definitely a, a trip. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, and then you know he's going on about like you know don't break off your hand because you jerk off too much. <laughs> huh? 
And then Glazer is like saying, like, hey, you all make me sick jerking off to your girly magazines. How about you try the real thing? And David's like, yeah, I can get you the real thing. Here's your condoms. And then like, Glazer's like, these fucking condoms are not lubricated. I ain't paying for them. And he throws them around. He's like, all right, man, shoot yourself. Get your own lubricated condoms. Condoms. <laughs> <laughs> And they're all just, they're just like in a plastic or a paper bag. Yeah, like, paper bag, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, then we see Cropsey's walking outside and Alfred sees him by the slick section and he freaks out. He's like, oh, there's a horrible face by the window. And then everybody doesn't believe him. You know, like every movie. Yeah. They course. all don't believe him. You know, Todd comes in, at, you know, and then Todd comes in and be like, hey, man, what are you guys doing over here? We got the food waiting for you. And then, uh, Glazer calls Alfred a weirdo, saying he's freaking out for no reason. And uh, then, then um, Todd, you know, tells him all to come to the dinner table. So now we have the we have more kids. You know, the the they're in the the hall eating, and of course the the main crew shows up and they start talking and talking to everybody and showing up doing their you know high fiving everybody. Um, Glazer again flirts with Sally. He wants to get her alone somewhere so they can get it on. Um, and then uh, this is when um, Woodstock is basically complaining because he doesn't have his vitamin E. So he has to go back to the cabin to get his vitamin E. Okay. Right. Exactly. Because we can't do without vitamin E. Yeah. I mean, come on. The kid's a health freak. You know? So uh, Todd tells them all to be quiet because the the counselor Jeff needs to tell him what is going to be happening for the next three days. Okay, so Jeff says, "Okay, we're gonna have three days of canoeing, mm. and a lot, you know, some of you kids are gonna be staying there for three days." So, and then while this is happening, you know, Woodstock is going into the camp and he's getting stalked by Cropsy. Okay, and they're basically just saying like. Um, you know, stick with, you know, I know you all made friends out here. This is Jeff saying it. You know, well, you all made friends out here and stuff. So stick with your buddies. And we're going to have three groups of, of three going out on this canoe ride for three days. Yes. <laughs> so now we know what's going to happen. Yes. So, we all, yes, we know we're setting up the plot for the movie. Mm-hmm. So Woodstock finds his vitamin E, right? And then he hears this noise. And did you see his face when he heard this noise? Mm-hmm. Like this guy was all like, he's like, I just the face he was making just looked like great. I liked it. It's like it just <laughs> yeah. like it like semi funny, but then semi like pretty creepy. And so he hears footsteps and boom, it was Todd. Todd scares him. And apparently the kids, like Glazer and all of them, were saying Woodstock was feeling sick, but he wasn't. So they so Todd is pissed off because they played a joke on him. And then eventually Todd goes back, he tells Glacier and his friend, like, it's like one more from you and you you guys are gonna be sent home. So he's putting his foot down, this Todd guy is. Um, so now, like, we have, like, the, the kids are, like, dancing the banjo music. Uh, yeah, I guess that's camp stuff. I, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> and, yeah, don't oh, know. no, 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 the, they're, uh, they're canoeing to banjo music. To, they're canoeing to banjo music, yes. just like in, uh, D- Deliverance. Yes. Yeah. With their homemade, uh, raft and their homemade paddles. Did you see those? Yes. Yeah, like I'm pretty. Sh- I don't know if that would really work. Like they're just they just like really tied sticks crossways to another stick. <laughs> I don't know if that works as a paddle, but I don't know. We'll see. Eh, they seem to be doing pretty fine. 
Yeah, uh, the only true. the only funny part I remember saying this was, um, I guess uh, Woodstock was like going slow and he was getting tired, and Dave's like, "Well, I told you," and I mean, keep beating your schlong all the time. It probably drained you of all your power. And then after they're done like doing their canoeing stuff, Todd now tells the story of Cropsy by the campfire, and he like you know they do it over dramatic and stuff, and you know, like don't go mm-hmm. home. He's gonna get you. He's gonna he's gonna get you and all this stuff. Which there's a scene just like this at the first part of Friday the 13th, too. Yes. We always have to have the camp scene of telling the horror stories. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a that's a classic thing, right? It's always yes. happened. Yeah. Know, scary stories around the fire. Yeah, we can still do that too, nowadays. You go by the campfire, you got to tell them scary stories. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and he basically was just recapping the whole thing that happened with the, you know, the kids playing their prank on him. The prank went wrong. And now he comes back for revenge and stalks everybody, apparently, which is going to happen. And he eats them alive, apparently. Mm-hmm. And he was going to see out there, he's watching, waiting, and you're dead. That's the big, uh, that's the big line to it. And you're dead. Yes. And then, of course, we have the guy in the mask and he scares everybody. And it was Eddie. Uh, playing a joke on everybody, he's trying to scare them all. After after, after the end of the story, um, and then they, all, they all have a big laugh at the end. Yes. So now this is when we get Eddie and Karen. They are alone in the woods, and they're talking about you know Eddie scaring everybody. Then they go on about you know they like each other, but they you know she doesn't doesn't know how she feels about Eddie. And Eddie's kind of like one of those like like hey it's okay I'm a nice guy we can start making out and fucking I won't leave you kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So exactly. they're going back and forth. Betty's uh, like, okay, I'm going to go swimming. And she's like, well, I don't got any clothes on. He's like, well, it don't matter. So she's like, just come on in. So Eddie goes skinny dipping in, in, in the lake. Eventually, Karen joins him in there. Obviously, Cropsy is creeping on him. They start making out a little bit in, in the water. Eddie gets a little too freehandly. She resists him. He gets a little pissed. And tells her to go fuck off. Why'd you even come in this water to begin with? She leaves. And now we have a little bit of a quarrel here. And then this part was a little creepy. Where Karen, you know, she gets back. She can't find her clothes. And she's like, come on, guys. Where's my clothes? I just want my clothes. And stuff. And then eventually she runs in to Cropsy. And she is our first victim of Cropsy. By the shears. The gardening shears. So I thought this pair was pretty crazy. And yeah, um, I thought, go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, I thought this scene was really cool. There's access movies a lot better than we're probably making it sound to people, but um, I I thought that it was, I thought it looked really good, like where she's walk, where they go skinny dipping in the water, and yeah. she's like kind of naked, and she's like walking around trying to find her clothes, and then she gets sheared by Cropsy. Yeah, what I'm, I'm gonna call. So like sheared. you know, like it's like we were saying before, you know, some of this stuff is gonna be like some corny dialogue and stuff, but some of the killing scenes was pretty, you know. I would say they're pretty creepy. The only thing I had with this one was, like, there was almost no lining. So you could barely see the killer. You could barely see her. Like, you, you, you it, it was hard, hard to see a couple of things in this particular shot. But that, I think, it made it a little bit more creepy when you did it yeah, that way. I, I think that, I think in some cases, they might have done that on purpose. Cause, so, because you can really only see the shears or the, is that what those are called? The, yeah, the garden shears. Yeah, garden like, shears, you can yeah. really only, you can really only see the shears. Um, one thing that's also weird is like he doesn't like in most cases he leaves the shears inside the victim, so he must have an, an incredible 
remarkable collection of shears that he well maybe maybe before. off camera he takes them away <laughs> maybe maybe he comes back to get them yeah um, yeah you know, he, there's a lot yeah, of like off camera he, stuff with him moving bodies and everything yeah there is a lot of <laughs> off camera stuff like you don't really see anything happening you don't, yeah. i guess you only see it from the kid's perspective which is which it makes more sense yes um all right so now it's the morning time and todd and michelle are looking for karen and they find eddie they just sleep in, they wake him up. And they're like, hey, you know, where's Karen? Like, where's she going stuff? And he's like, I don't know. I'm not really sure she's It's like, well, no, people said that they saw you two together last night. Where'd she go? It's like, I don't know. We had like a, a little fight and they, and she left. She, she, she went out. I haven't seen her. And then they hear from another uh, 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 camper that the canoes are now gone. And Michelle thinks that Karen took one. And then the kids are just playing a prank on them so and Todd's like a little suspicious about this so Todd now asks the group of the kids and everything you know like hey you know where the canoes at and stuff and they start cracking some jokes and everything and then of course Glazier thinks it's Alfred because he's a weirdo that's why he did it mm-hmm. so we see a little bit right. more of the uh the the inner workings between them which well we'll get to but I don't think it really paid off but anyway so, so now Todd, you know, he feels a little uneasy. He's worried about Karen and then what's happening with the canoes. So his new idea is that we might just have to build a raft uh, to, to, you know, uh, get to the, to the water and they will tell like the other campsite, you know, what's going on. Um, so now David, uh, some David, you know, Woodstock, uh, Eddie and the other kids are like gathering wood and stuff. And they're like, you know, doing some more jokes to each other. Um, and you know, some girl brings up like a like a plastic milk jar jar jar. I think it could be for the raft. Uh, there we see, yeah, Glazer. He's now flirting hard with Sally. He's all like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, what do I got to do? She's like, cool your engines. So and yeah, (laughs) maybe not be a complete asshole. Yeah, and then they keep building the raft and everything. So they're they're building the raft. They find a bunch of logs. That they're getting it going on. Um, then we see like Glazier, like he's like, she's trying to get some right now with Sally on this rock. It sounds like, okay, we can't do it now, but maybe later. He's like, oh, really? He's like, I promise you it's going to be real good. I promise it's going to be real good. I, I promise it. <laughs> and then like Alfred, wow. like he just creeps on him the whole time. Yeah. Mm. I mean, so, I mean, they're not wrong, right? I mean, how, Al- I mean, Glazier's not wrong. Alfred is, Alfred is kind of creepy in a way. Yes. Like, I thought that was in a ghost somewhere, too, but it didn't really go anywhere. But he's just, like, a creepy kid. He's just like, I guess he likes to watch. That's his thing. I guess uh, so. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's his thing. And I couldn't tell watch. if he had a crush on Glazier or Sally. Who knows? <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure from the time period it was Sally, but, who, yeah. you know, could be either. Could be either, I guess. Yes. So now um, Eddie and Woodstock and these two other girls, they're on the raft now. And they're about to go raft to the, the campsite to go tell them what's happening with all the, the canoes so they can get back to the campsite. Because they can't just walk back to the campsite because the terrain is too deep. They, they won't be able to make it. Yeah, and of course, David... It's David, easier to build a raft. Yes. Well, you know, Todd, he, went, he said he went to... He said he learned how to build rafts in Boy Scouts. So we're good. Okay. <laughs> we're good. We're good to go. Our boy Todd <laughs> knows like what's a- happening. All right. I do remember there's like a scene where they're when they're rafting down the river and one of the characters says, well, it's lucky that you knew how to build a raft. Yes. 
Like, yeah, duh. But um, the this is also to David. He's like saying all kinds of jokes. He's like, all right, and you guys are slow. You're slower than my grandma. It'll be like 1984 until you get back here. So all the kids are on the route. They're looking tired. Uh, Woodstock is complains about it, and the girl is just like saying, like, you know, uh, you know, we can't wait. We got to keep going, you know. And then like they finally, when they're looking, um, they see that there's a one of the canoes to that that they missed. They're like, hey, we saw one of those canoes. It must have drifted away. Let's grab it. So they all push hard to get to this canoe, and then right when they get up to the canoe, boom. It's fucking, uh, 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 Gripsy. Cropsy, yes. Cropsy. Cropsy kills oh all God. of them. Yes, I was like, Gypsy. Cropsy, he comes up there and he kills them all. He fucking chops off Woodstock's fingers, stabs a couple that of the girls, cool. and he fucking stabs Eddie right in the throat. Fucking teared up these kids. So we're getting all the action right now in the movie. All the killings and stuff. So, yeah. Cut, so he cut, took care of a bunch of the kids right here in one scene. Yes. So this is when Todd and Michelle, they're, they're, they're talking about, like, you know, I hope the kids got back. Todd's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're there right now. She says, like, all right, so, you know, I'm just a little worried about them. And they're walking through the forest and everything. And then this is, like, when Todd says, yeah, I learned how to build rafts and Boy Scouts. Uh, they kiss a little bit. And Todd wants to get back to the camp. Michelle's like, well, I have a better idea. And we never found out what her idea was. No. Like, what 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 was her idea? Where did you go? <laughs> we don't know, right? I mean, like we we talk about yeah, we brought this up, right? Like oh, I have a better idea, and then they never go back to this at all. Yes. All right. Here's my favorite scene in the whole movie. I knew it would be okay. I'm a sucker, and when it comes to the love making scenes in '80s horror movies, and boy, this one was a treat. All right, so we got a girl Sally, we got a boy Glazer. They're often the, the, the haunted forest of Stonewall Camp or what, Blackfoot, whatever it's called now. <laughs> Our boy haunted finally convinced forest. her that this is going to be great. The sex is going to be great. You're going to be, this is the best sex you're ever going to have in your life. So first she complains a little bit. She's like, I, like this, maybe we should go back. Maybe we should get closer to the camp. But I was like, no, 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 we'll get out here. Don't worry about it. We're you know, fine. And we're doing like this slow shot where we see all like their clothes on the floor. Mm. and then like she, he's like he's like we, we finally get you know some of the the action going on over here he's like yeah yeah and then he's like uh, uh. oh he's like and then she's like oh uh, is that it <laughs> he's all like oh man it'll be better next time trust me she's like trust you yeah she says like yeah. and then like then todd's like you know you know glacier he's like embarrassed and everything he's like oh man she's like he's like are you cold and she's like, well, you didn't do too much to warm me up, did you? Oh, Ouch. Fuck. Oh, whoa, but what a burn. I was like, mm. damn, I've heard that one once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we all been there. <laughs> We've all but been damn. there. We've all been there. See, what happened was, here's what I think what happened. Our boy Glazier, <laughs> he was so hyped up to finally get into piss out there in the campsite that he yeah. just like got himself too worked up. He's like, oh, fuck, I fucked this up. But I'll make it up to her, though. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So is this is this Glazer's face turn? Is he a, is he a good guy now, or is he yeah. uh, still the asshole? No, no, it's yeah, his face turn. His so face for, turn. for for yeah. for for uh, uh, coming too early, he is now a baby face. He's now. now he's now a baby face. Yes, all the men in the audience could relate to him. I was like, oh fuck, I've been there before. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've been chasing this girl down for the whole summer camp. We got her out there. I thought I was gonna rock her world, and I was like, shit. 
I fucked up. <laughs> That's what happened. And of course, you know, he's like, he's kind of like, you know, showing that he's apologetic. And then she's like, so, okay, well, we can, we don't have to go back to the camp. We could stay here and we could just hold each other for the night. And he's all like excited. He's like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to the camp. I'm going to build you a fire. And we're going to stay out here and we're just going to like be around each other. And he's so happy now. You can feel for this guy too. It's like, okay, finally, you know, he, he's a good guy deep down in there. He wants to help out this girl. So he goes back to the campsite. This is when we see Opsy Cropsy's in the, in the forest. He attacks Sally. So she's been taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, then we got, you know, he's back collecting some firewood. He's getting some of the matches. Obviously, Alfred's creeping on him again. And then he fucking follows. He follows him so close in this. I'm surprised Glacier. He, Glacier was just probably too excited. You know what I mean? He's like, fuck, I'm going to maybe give me 30 minutes. I'll go back in there or something. But the Alfred's just like following him the whole time. And then, you know, he drops the firewood. He's like, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. I got the firewood. He opens up the tent and eventually sees dead Sally. And then, bam, out of nowhere, Cropsy comes and fucking chokes him and stabs him with the fucking uh, shears and shit. And I thought this scene was pretty brutal. Yeah. Did we mention that he kills Sally while Glazer's gone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that. Okay, sorry, I, I forgot we talked about that. Yeah, he mentioned he killed Sally while Glacier's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah he attacked her, and uh, we didn't see. We we just saw him like, um, st- like uh, trying to attack her with the with the scissors, the the the, the shears, yeah. but like we didn't actually see him uh, stab her. So it was right. supposed to be a surprise when he when he walked back to find her dead. We all know she was pretty much gone gone for. Yes. Yeah. And then this is when we hear, um, this is when Alfred, he saw the whole thing. So he runs back to Todd. And he's like, hey, Todd, like, fucking, uh, he's gone. He's, he's dead and everything. And nobody ever listens to me and all this stuff. And Todd's like, what the hell are you talking about? You're going to wake up the whole campers and stuff. He's just like, follow me. You know, he's dead and everything. So Todd goes, follows him over there. And then they find the dead glacier body. And this is when they start getting attacked a little bit from Cripsy. Uh and then um, she kind of gets attacked a little bit. Todd does, and he falls down. And then this is when Alfred does his big running. He just runs away. Yep, and then Cropsy chases him. Yes. So now we're on the morning time. Um, all the kids are kind of by, like, the pond area or the lake area. And Michelle sees that the raft has come back. She's like, oh, okay, it's coming back. And, of course, David, he's all like, oh, the kids are playing a prank and stuff. Look at them. They're playing dead over there, you know, just... Just telling her that. And then Michelle's like, I don't know. Something's weird. Let me go check it out. So she goes into the water and she swims up. One of the girls asks David, like, hey, you know, David, what's going on? And David's like, how am I supposed to know? I'm not swimming over there. <laughs> uh, then to- this is when um, Todd shows up. He's like, have you guys seen Alfred? And this is when Michelle, uh, she gets into the raft and then a dead arm falls on her. And then we see Woodstock's dead body pops up next to her too. And she's screaming bloody murder. Yep. This is uh this was a really cool scene. I like this part a lot. Um there's a lot of like um setting up of this movie. Like at this point, I mean, we're only like I want to say maybe 15 minutes from the end of the movie at this point by the time all this stuff starts happening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It has a very quick ending. Yeah, unlike, you know, some of the later movies we've been reviewing and stuff, like killing just happens like right off the bat, you know, almost at yeah. every freaking scene. This movie did a nice job at least building up the characters building up the scenario of all the shocking stuff happening towards the end. Yes. So all the kids are crying. They're all worried and stuff. Um, Todd needs Michelle 
to to go get some help, you know, call the police and stuff so they didn't go back on the raft with some of the kids. You know, David's on there too. Some of the other girls are on there too. And their mission is to go um, back to the campsite to go call the police and get some help because Todd needs some help. But Todd's going to be staying behind because he needs to go find Alfred. So we get a lot of scenes of Alfred just running. Yes. A ton yeah, of scenes. To pad, the, to pad the running time. Yes. We have I to guess. make sure that he's running and he just keeps on running. Um, so Todd's now looking for a- Alfred. Apparently he grabs like an axe during this whole time. So I don't know where he found this axe at. Maybe he had it in his book bag or something. But who <laughs> in knows? In his book bag. So Tiger, she is tired. And then Michelle gives her a rally speech saying, we can't be tired. This is not what you have. We have to get back there. So they're 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 tired, but they're they're pushing their limits to get back to camp. So Alfred obviously is getting stalked. You know, we always hear the whole Todd, Todd, is you there? You know. So now yeah. um Michelle has arrived to the port area. Uh Jeff's asked, like, hey, where are my canoes? <laughs> and then like Michelle's like, listen, there's a killer here. I need to go talk to I need to go to the landline. I need to go to the phone. Yeah, who gives a fuck about the canoes? There's a killer. Yeah, and then Jeff's like, okay, what's going on here? This is a joke and stuff. It's like, no, look at these kids and stuff. This ain't no joke. And then Jeff's like, oh, shit, it ain't no joke. So Alfred climbs into a cave. Did you get it? I got it. Okay. Funny. I don't know. I just thought it was weird. Like, where did you get this? is a random cave. Okay, got gotcha. Well, there's a lot of random stuff at the end of this movie. But yeah, yeah. they find this random cave. Yes. And then something else random is about to happen. And then this is when Jeff and Michelle, I guess they, they called the police, okay? And the police are, are coming by helicopter to the, the <laughs> section, okay? Like, where? how remote are these people? I, don't, like, I guess pretty remote, I guess. I mean, aren't are most summer camps, don't they just have roads that you can drive to? No. Not, I mean, not, I, not, I, block, I, not this one. Not stone. This is uh, this is way out in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Like, did they have to take a helicopter to get there? Well, they like, said it, they said the helicopter would be quicker, but they sure took their time. <laughs> and they were going <laughs> yeah, on boat. Took them basically all night, right? And they, and then Jeff and Michelle were going by boat to get there quicker than the helicopters apparently were. I, I right, sure, okay. Let's continue on because yes. it's not going to make any sense no more that we talk about it. So now, since Al, he's hiding in like this cave. Uh, I'm going to use my wrestling term. He's hiding in a cave-like structure. Like structure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he eventually gets caught. So after, you know, after Alice uh, uh, got trapped. So Al now has, has gotten trapped by um, by Cropsey's uh, hedges. All right. And then Todd hears him. He's like, oh, fuck, I got to go get him. And then um, Cropsey ties uh, uh, Todd up. I mean, Alfred up a little bit and stabs him in the arm. All right. Um, so now this is when we get a big scene of Todd searching for the whole cave. Like he goes to every freaking uh, structure of this cave. Yep. Um, to try and find Alfred. Yes. So he falls down at one part and then he sees dead, uh, uh, dead Karen. So he freaks out a little bit. So we find out what happened to her. She's in this cave-like structure. So, Cropsy randomly has a flamethrower now. Yeah, so I have another question. Yes. So, where did he get a flamethrower? Well, so what happened was, um, during the period where he killed the prostitute and was coming to the, um, uh, 
coming to you know to the the, the campsite um we didn't ha- he didn't order one but he went to the flamethrower rs shop and he picked one okay out. all right i have a follow-up question too <laughs> if you were so horribly burned that you wanted to murder children yes why would you want to have anything to do with fire ever again well it's the it's the principle of it you know it's kind of okay, like it's kind of like it's kind of like darth vader you know what i mean so okay, darth vader got, got killed by obi-wan and got burnt but he wanted to burn his to get him revenge Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, so yes. I guess he's no longer afraid of fire. No, he's not afraid of fire. Basically, the fighter now is that's what his power is. He is now the fireman. Now, now he's the fireman. Yes. Okay. All right. Very good. I believe it. Continue on. So, so Todd, you know, he, they they run into so okay. So right when this flamethrower stuff, now we have a flashback. Okay. Mm-hmm. I guess Todd is having this flashback, which is, is this is a little weird. So basically, we get the flashback to the beginning of the movie, where all the kids were, you know, planning to play that practical joke on Cropsy, uh, mm. uh, uh, and we found out that Todd was one of the original kids that did it. Yes. So, okay, now let's go back to where he talks, tells Alfred that he uh, was sent home. So was he sent home for setting Cropsy on fire? Yes. But he w- okay. but he was allowed to be a counselor later on in life. Yes, cuz yeah, apparently so. Cuz yes. you can you can set a guy on fire and disfigure him for life and make make him a maniac. Well, but well technically he goes back. The, well, the, the thing I find is weird is they got in trouble kind of for accidentally setting the guy on fire, but they did not get in trouble for uncorpsing a dead body out of a supposed graveyard that put a dead head by Cropsey's bedside. Right. I mean, would there not be like, I don't know. For what, it seems like all of this stuff would, would warrant some kind of prison term. If you, if you, <laughs> or at least like juvie, all he did was got sent home. Like, oh, boys will be boys. Uh-huh. I, I guess so. Yeah. yeah it just happens. They right? bring up dead heads and fucking put people on fire. <laughs> Shit happens. Okay. It's camp. What are we supposed to do? So like, I thought this one was kind of like okay, we we, we you can kind of guess that Todd was one of the original kids and stuff, but like, it's not like like the the Cropsy guy was like fully trying to like stalk him during the whole time, you know? Like he was just killing all the kids there. Like, did yeah, Cropsy even know that there. he was one of the original kids? I no, I think he was just killing whoever was there. Yeah. So like, we had a scene where like it looked like a one of those gold mine tractors or something tries to fall on Todd, and then he's, then we have a big fight scene. This is when we see um, Alfred over here screaming, and he's still uh, uh, stuck with the with the hedge clippers on his arm. And then you know we get some more scenes of uh, Michelle and Jeff and screaming in the boat. And this is when we had the big fight scene between Todd and Gypsy, Cropsy. <laughs> uh, uh, Cropsy. Why can't become Gypsy? So Cropsy, uh, they're fighting everything. Um. And then eventually the the uh, Cropsy was gonna get the upper hand on our on our boy Todd, but then Alfred comes to this rescue and stabs him in the back yep. with the hedges. Yep, Alfred makes the save. Yes, and then after that, then Alfred freaking torches his ass with the fire while he's on the on the on a piece of the the wood. Yeah, so it's kind of like that situation where uh, in, in, in most wrestling matches, um, every time someone introduces a foreign object into the match, it always gets used against them. Yes. 
So this is exactly what this was. So, so he would never have had to worry about being burned alive again if he hadn't introduced a flamethrower, but he did. Yes. And yeah. Todd got to use his axe too because he axed him in the head. Yep. And then they leave. Yeah, which all looked really good. Like all that Tom Savini artwork. When you even even like I was really the least thing the thing I liked the least about it was Cropsey's like disfigurement, like his makeup didn't yeah. look great. But I mean you could tell it was just like supposed to look like I guess melted skin, I guess, on his face. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's he's clearly just a guy wearing a rubber mask. But uh, but the the makeup effects look really good with the blood and everything, and him hatching Cropsey in the face was really was really cool, and that was all really good. Yeah, and then of course the cops finally show up in the helicopter. That's probably took a lot of the budget right there. And yeah, then <laughs> yes, that's about to say the helicopter probably cost more than the actors did to get in. And then we see um, the next scene is basically new campers, new counselors, all telling the story about Cropsey. Of course, the uh, the end, the the end lines like, "Don't move, don't speak. He will hear you, and you're dead." And we're done. And then it yeah, and then it freezes on the screen, and then like, so now when you go, anybody that goes to camp is supposed to be scared by the legend of Cropsy, which is kind of cool because you know it's like, you know, Weinstein was scared by the legend of Cropsy when he went to camp, and now he's trying to create that atmosphere with moviegoers. So that's kind of a cool ending. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie had some uh, some bright spots to it. You know, it had some uh, semi uh, plot holes in the movie. <laughs> you don't say <laughs> with the with a couple scenes, but I thought the overall like structure and story was pretty good. You know, I thought it would, it, this would have been like a nice little movie to watch. You know, not nothing too um, you know groundbreaking. But I thought it had a couple of good scenes and a couple of funny stuff. You know, it's always good to mix the the funny with the horror movie. You know, it, it was yeah. done right. And I thought it was pretty done right in this film. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, Tom Savini is a great, um, you know, makeup artist and everything. So all mm-hmm. the kill scenes always look great in all his films. So that's not too much of a surprise. Um, and, you know, some of the acting was good too. You could see some future, you know, stars in the making. So I would say this film is not too bad, you know. The stay at uh, camp um, uh, Blackfoot wasn't wasn't too bad, I would say. Yeah, not not too bad. Um, one thing that um, I was gonna say, I mean, it's 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 one of those movies that's really good if you don't think about it a whole lot. Like if you don't think about people's motivations or why they're doing anything in the movie and just watch it for what it is, it's it's good. I mean, I liked it. I would recommend it to people. Um, another thing I thought was cool about it was the soundtrack. We didn't talk about that, but it's a Rick Wakeman soundtrack. It's all like synthesizers and stuff and i thought that sounded really good yeah and then also to you know you know just like almost every horror movie they were kind of planning a sequel but the director and all them they didn't really want to uh cast themselves as only being like horror movie you know director guys and like Mm -hmm. this film you know didn't do the best at the box office during the particular time period so it was kind of like left without no follow-up story to it but obviously the movie, you know, people have taken elements from this particular movie and made it into some of their horror movies as well. Yes, for sure. It's definitely influential. There's no doubt about that. So, but that finishes up our month long reviews of summer camps. So, we have survived all these deadly summer camps. Boy, what a ride it's been. Uh, I had fun at the good old summer camp stays. 
Oh, yeah. uh, Allison, I'm pretty sure you had fun there too. You know. Oh yeah, it's fun. We survived uh, Angela and we survived Cropsy and I have survived my allergies, which keep coming back like Jason Voorhees, as most people can probably tell from the croakiness of this episode. Um, but yeah, so we have survived and um, we have survived June in this crazy heat wave. And uh, what are we doing? Uh, what are we doing next? Ooh, next month, July. So July, you know, it's all about you know we're 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 pretty much getting to the 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 point of summertime. You know, it's hot out there. You know, we'll probably you know do a, a couple of barbecuing. And we got the Fourth of July, a lot of fireworks, a lot of a lot of like a lot of fire going on. If we catch my drift, so mm. we have decided to do Hellfire Month in yeah. July. And the first movie that we're going to be talking about, all about here on the Retro Blood is probably one of the most iconic Hellfire movies because it is called Hellraiser. Oh yeah, this is going to be this is going to be a good one. So this is this movie is a classic and you don't really hear too many negative things about uh, about Hellraiser. So this will be uh and I haven't seen it in years, so we'll see if we still like this movie as much as we used to. Yes. Yeah, it should be. I haven't seen it in years either, so it's definitely going to be pretty fun to, to check out the origins of the Cenobites here on the Retro Blood. And we'll see what's happening around, you know, metal music during this particular time period. Of course, pro wrestling too. And boy, those uh, those uh, Pinhead and all, uh, all his crew could definitely have been uh, some wrestlers there too, I would say. Yeah, or metal guys. <laughs> yeah, or, or metal. metal yeah, exactly. So they fit into everything, so... Join us here next week here on the Retro Blood as we start off our Hellfire Month with Hellraiser One. Uh, but how about Allison? How about we end uh, this episode with some uh, some Judas Priest out there, brother? Yeah. This is Troubleshooter oh, yeah. from Judas Priest. Everybody, this ends the uh, summer camp month here on the Retro Blood. So everybody, if you're thinking about going to your summer camp, remember bring the essentials. You gotta bring an axe, a flamethrower. Uh, uh, you got to bring condoms, lubricated, please. Uh, lubricated condoms, yeah. Make All right. sure they're lubricated. You got to make sure you got your, your your pictures out there to take the, the, the pictures of the tits. You got to have everything. And then you got to have your survival kit and just make sure there's nobody named Angela or Cropsy and you might be okay. Yeah. Do people really not use lubricated condoms? Is that a thing? I mean, I guess. I just want to go in there so. fucking dry, I guess. Fuck it. I guess, I guess so. <laughs> All right, buddy, we'll check you later here on the Retro Blade. Let's see you guys. <laughs>